0: Welcome. Thank you, Pastor Chad, for those words and that prayer. Uh, we are in our second week of studying what I believe are the most important words ever spoken, and that is the Sermon on the Mount. You can open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, as we're in week 2 of this series called The Way of the Kingdom. As I presented this series to you, I, I, I pre- presented it like this. Jesus presented himself as the King— And he was coming to say, if you want to be a part of my kingdom, this is what it looks like. This is the way of the kingdom. You see, because Jesus came to die for our sins, provide the way for us to salvation for eternal life. But being a follower of Jesus, which is what you are, is not just about waiting around until you die and get to go to heaven. It's about following Him right here, right now. And He has taught and modeled for us a way to live loyally and faithfully to Him in our time. And if you really want to understand what He means by that, the Sermon on the Mount is the best summary of what it means to be a follower of Jesus in His kingdom right here and right now. To be follower like a sheep is to a shepherd. He is our shepherd. He is our Lord. As Dallas Willard once said, the Lord is my shepherd is written on many more tombstones than lives. It's easy to put that statement on your tombstone or your Facebook profile, but it's harder to actually put that statement on your actual life, to actually live as Jesus is your Lord and your shepherd here and now, not just waiting one day to die and go to heaven. And here's the thing though, like your salvation is secure if you've put your trust in Jesus. You're going to heaven, that's great, that's awesome, that's an amazing promise, you can feel secure in that. But the rest of the world is dependent upon whether or not you will actually follow Jesus right here, right now. The rest of the world is dependent on the fact that you will actually shine your light like Jesus did, because Jesus gave us a great commission. He gave us a task to take what he taught us and showed us and send that out to the world so that they too can hear the good news and receive the promise that you also have received. And so taking the Sermon on the Mount seriously is really, really important for every person who wants to be a follower of Jesus. Now, as we get into it today, our text starts in verse 13, but I want to back up a couple verses because uh, when we break up the Sermon on the Mount like this into a multiple-week, multiple-month series, uh, we need to do that to, to kind of go through all the content, but it sometimes does a disservice to the flow of the sermon itself. Jesus presented this as one flow of thought, everything connected. When we break it up week by week, it feels like it's separate thoughts. And so one of the things I've encouraged our connect groups to do is to read through all three chapters of the sermon in one sitting, whether in your group or at home. But anyone, I encourage you to do that so you can hear Jesus' flow of thought thought through the whole sermon. And I think this is a particular spot where this is necessary. Because if you look in your Bible right now, Probably between verse 12 and 13, there's a break and then a heading that says something like salt and light. And that wasn't in the original text that Matthew wrote. It's later editors who put our Bible together in a nice bound copy have done that just to help you kind of understand what themes are coming up. But Jesus, as he preached this and Matthew, as he recorded it, it was intended to be a direct flow of thought from verse 12 into verse 13. So you'll see why this is important, but let me start back in verse 11, and then we're going all the way to verse 16 today. Jesus finishes his blessings, his beatitudes with this. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, in heaven So Jesus starts his sermon with what we call the beatitudes, nine blessings, where he's opening up the kingdom to say, "Hey, the people you thought couldn't be blessed, there's actually blessing for them in my kingdom." And so when he's talking, we see that there's crowds following him and he gathers his disciples and he speaks directly to his few disciples, but the crowds are listening in, and Jesus is referring to the crowds saying this mixed group, multi-ethnic, different socioeconomic status, people who are outcasts and outsiders, there's actually room for them to be blessed in my kingdom when you thought there wasn't. And so when he starts his blessings, he says very generically things like, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. But as he finishes his blessings, in verse 11... He changes to more direct language. He doesn't say the or those, he says blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and faulty say all kinds of evil against you because of me. So Jesus is no longer generically talking about the crowd. He's actually now specifically addressing his few disciples, and he's saying, you, when people persecute you, they insult you, they lie about you because of me. Blessed are you. And then he immediately goes into, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. These ideas connect to each other, and you'll see why that's so important as we go along. So blessings are not announcements of what you need to do to become blessed. That's not what the Beatitudes are about. They are pronouncements that even the outsider and the outcast, the person you thought were out, they can be blessed too. And it's the same thing with his comments about salt and light. He's not saying, be salt of the earth. He's not saying, be the light of the world. He's saying to his followers, you already are these things. If you have become my follower, if you've put your trust in me, if I am your shepherd, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. He's saying this is what it's like to be my follower. So we're not talking about what we need to do to become salt or what we need to do to become the light of the world. We're talking about living up to who we already are in Christ. Living up to our identity in him, what he has already conferred upon you, what he has already given you, what he has already blessed you with, because you're already in. What do you do with that? How do you live it out. We don't strive to become anything in God's kingdom. When Jesus welcomes us through his blood, through his sacrifice on the cross, we already have everything God has for us through the inheritance we share with Jesus. Now, discipleship is about learning to live like that's true. Learning to actually live in the blessing and inheritance that we have. So, you already are the salt of the earth. You already are the light of the world if you have chosen to follow Jesus. Here's how we live it out. Now, I want to set something up for you, because from this point on, Jesus uses uh, a teaching technique all throughout the rest of the sermon. So I'm going to remind you of this all through the series, but let me set it up for you today. He starts this teaching technique with his metaphors of salt and light, where he compares and contrasts two things that look the same on the surface— but underneath the surface, or, or the result of those two things, is very different. So when you look at this passage about salt and light, he's actually comparing two different kinds of salt. One kind of salt that's effective, and one kind of salt that's ineffective. He's comparing two different kinds of light. One kind of light that shines, and one kind of light that's hidden. On the surface, the salt looks the same. On the surface, light is light, but the result of the two different kinds is very different. Different. Basically, he's showing us that in this world, there are going to be counterfeits of the good things found in the kingdom. And there's going to be counterfeit disciples of Jesus as well. Think about it this way. You have two cups of coffee in front of you. It's 6 a.m. in the morning. You didn't get enough sleep last night. They both are in the exact same kind of cup they both look dark. and They both smell great. There's, there's no way to tell the difference between them. But one of them is decaf. Whoever invented decaf coffee should get the Nobel Prize for taking joy out of the worlds. You took the best part out of the coffee. And so if you're only able to drink one of these coffees, the only way you'll know which one was decaf is if in an hour you're still tired and you have a headache. Because those of you like me who have a coffee addiction know that you need to drink your coffee or else you got a headache in an hour, right? Or, or, or there, here's a situation that's happened in my home. Rebecca and I, to, to conserve water and whatever, we, we normally would have like one water cup that we reuse all day. So we'll have our first drink of water early in the day and then we'll put that cup aside and try to reuse it throughout the day. And I have a spot where my cup goes. Rebecca has a spot where her cup goes. so They don't get mixed up. But sometimes at dinner time, we go to grab those cups and I'll fill them up and I'm just not paying attention. And once they're full, I go, which one was which? Which was mine and which was Rebecca's? And normally it's not a big deal. We share spit all the time, right? <clears throat> but... But what if Rebecca's sick, right? And I'm looking at these cups and going, oh, one of these cups is just a nice, fresh drink of water, and one of these cups is going to give me COVID. And I don't know which one it is. They look the same on the surface. Or two apples that look red and juicy and delicious, but you bite into one and it's full of worms. This is the illustration Jesus is using throughout his sermon all the way through. If you read it and you're paying attention to that, you'll see it all the way through. There's two salts. One is ineffective. There's two lights. One doesn't shine. Later, Jesus talks about two roads. One leads to death. Two houses. One collapses on its occupants. Two trees. One has poisonous fruit. He even talks about two people who pray, who have different motivations. He talks about two people who struggle with anger, but one of them has a murderous heart. He talks about all these different compare and contrast, two different things that look the same on the outside, but the result and the fruit... Are very, very different. Now, he's not using this teaching technique to warn you and I away from the wrong kind of salt or the wrong kind of tree. He's using this technique, he's twisting it around to actually say, You're the salt. You're the tree. What kind of salt are you going to be? What kind of tree are you going to be? What kind of light are you going to be? Are you going to shine or are you going to hide your light? What kind of house are you going to be? Are you going to stand when times get tough, or are you going to collapse? It's a reminder that entrance into the kingdom is open to everybody who puts their faith in Jesus. But it's a warning that it's also possible along the way to reject the way of Jesus, and to wander from the way, to get distracted, to fall into temptation, to start to pursue other so-called lords and shepherds that actually lead from the path of life into the path of death. In other words, Jesus' sermon is a challenge to disciples like you and me. You have to choose to follow him every day. You have to choose to take up that new identity and that role in the kingdom and continue and persevere in the way of the kingdom. What kind of follower will you be? Will you remain faithful to him? Will you be a diligent disciple? Will you be devoted to him? Or will you deviate and become a fake follower? A counterfeit Christian. Someone who looks like a Christian, just like any other Christian on the outside, but it's actually all a facade. It's all an act. This theme will pop up over and over again in the sermon, as I said. But let's look to see how he uses it here with salt and light. You are the salt of the earth. You. the salt of the earth. Uh, Most of our modern diets have way too much salt in everything. One of the most common reasons, probably the prevailing reason for the use of salt is as a preservative. And I think that's the the main idea that Jesus is giving here as well. It prevents decay, reduces water activity within food. It keeps certain uh, chemical reactions from happening, keeps certain organisms from, from multiplying so it doesn't rot as quick. It keeps food fresh and it keeps it edible for longer. So to rephrase Jesus' words, you are, the, you are the preservative of the earth. You keep things fresh. Part of the function of a follower of Jesus is like salt on a piece of meat. Where, apart from God, the world is highly susceptible to decay. Highly susceptible to moral decay. Social decay, political decay, decay of all kinds, away from the goodness of God's original intent of creation, toward death, toward destruction. But God takes believers, followers of Jesus, and he he shakes them out like a salt shaker, you know, a little salt bay. He shakes them out all over the world so that we can participate in preserving the goodness of God's creation. Preserving the goodness of what God is doing in the world. That's part of who we are and what we are called to be. But he adds this in verse 13. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. So this might seem nonsensical when we think about modern salt because the salt you have on your table, those white crystals, are pure sodium chloride which doesn't, it can't become unsalty, right? It can dissolve in liquid, but it doesn't become unsalty. However, in Jesus' day, salt was mined from the Dead Sea, and they didn't have the same uh, refining techniques, and so it was actually mixed with other minerals, and it just looked like sand. So some of the, some of the um, grains and some of the uh, crystals in the, in the mixture was salt, and others were just other kinds of minerals, and you couldn't necessarily tell the difference. But... If you flushed it with water, and you would dissolve the salt, you would have a mixture that still looked like salt, but it had no preserving properties. You see what Jesus is saying? You see his teaching technique here? So you have, you have in ancient salt, you have a mi- two mixtures. One still has preservative properties, and one does not, but they still look the same, and you won't know the difference until your fish rots. The results are radically different. Jesus is talking about how Christians and how churches can get watered down. How we, we get influenced by the world around us instead of being an influence to the world around us. Where our Christianity becomes whatever social and political opinions tend to be popular at the time, and then we just add Jesus as our mascot to support us. We don't look different than the world around us. We tend to agree with people who don't even have the same beliefs as us for some reason. We've become watered down, so we actually, we might look like a Christian because we show up in church and we have conservative values, but there's actually no preservative properties left. It's been flushed out, leached out, watered down. He says, salt that loses its preservative properties is only good to be trampled on the ground. You're basically just dirt There's no salt left. It's just sand. So the question for you and me is this. Are you any different than the people around you? Are you any different than people who don't even claim to follow Jesus? Because if there's no difference, that could be a bad sign. Now here's the counterpoint. It's possible to be too salty. Have you met some too salty Christians? Okay, we're not supposed to be uh, obnoxious for the sake of being different. That's not, that was not Jesus' M.O. He, the only people he was obnoxious to were the overly religious, right? The, the sinners actually loved his presence, but he also called them to repentance while loving and serving and blessing them. He entered into the world without taking up their sin, but he also showed them a better way And invited them into it. You are the preserving agent of the world. Secondly, you are the light of the world. So think about salt. Salt is preventative. Salt prevents decay. It stops something. Light, however, adds something. It brings something new. It illuminates something into a situation. It's one thing for us to stop the spread of evil in the world. It's another thing to promote the spread of truth, beauty, and goodness. Sometimes in our oversaltiness, we make it abundantly clear what we are against. But we don't then offer any solutions. And, and not just that, but we don't offer ourselves in the process to do the work to bring about a better world. We rail and complain and judge and speak out against things, but we don't offer any light. We don't offer any energy of our own hard work to bring about a better world. You see, D- Jesus didn't say some of you are going to be salt and some of you are going to be light. He said you are both salt and light. You are both in this world to prevent the spread of decay, but also to promote the spread of truth beauty, and goodness in the world. So think about how you engage with the world. Think about the last time you noticed something that was under decay, some sort of moral, social, or political issue that that felt like it was moving towards death, moving towards evil in the world. How did you respond to that? Did you voice your perspective? Did you send an email? Did you forward a social media post? Did you sign a petition or attend a protest? Those things could be considered salt in some ways, not necessarily bad, but did it just stop there? Did you also shine some light? Did you offer an alternative toward goodness? Not just a suggestion for someone else to do, but an offering of yourself to put in the work to bring about the change you see to be moving towards life and light. If we only offer criticisms, but don't offer to participate in the solution, what does that make us? It makes us people who are hiding our light. Jesus says, you can't do that. That's fake light. That light doesn't shine. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't lead people who are looking for a city of refuge. It doesn't lead them to life. It's a hiding of the light. He says in verse 14, A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Again, two kinds of light. One light shines from the top of a hill. It draws people in. It's placed on a stand so everyone can enjoy its effect. But the other light is hidden. It's a light that makes it seem like the world is still in darkness when it doesn't have to be. Now, notice how Jesus defines light. He helps us out here because he doesn't always define his metaphors. But he says, our light is our good deeds. And when we shine our light, our good deeds are supposed to shine before others and it'll lead them to glorifying God. Again, offering criticism without being willing to participate in a solution is just hiding your light. But being the light of the world requires action, good deeds, energy, a willingness to serve. Your good deeds become beacons of light that point point people toward God. I think this needs some meditation, and I've I've meditated on this a lot over the years, and and maybe I have some insights, maybe, maybe I don't. You let me know. But I think I think it's interesting to think about because if our good deeds are supposed to cause people to glorify our Father in heaven, it doesn't always seem to be the norm. Like people aren't worshiping God every time I pick up a piece of garbage from the ground and put it in the garbage can, you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't seem, you know, he picked up garbage, praise God, he's amazing, like, does, you know? And then the other thing to think about is, um, like, Christians don't have the corner on good deeds. Like, other people do good things. Like, there's lots of religions that teach good deeds as a central tenant to their faith. Our Sikh friends in town here do very good deeds all the time. It's part of, it's part of their faith. And so, are those good deeds the same as my good deeds? And are their good deeds causing people to worship my God? It's something to think about. And so, I try to think about, well, what is it uniquely about Christian good deeds that is going to lead people to worship my Father in heaven? Is there something special about Christian light? And so, again, whenever Jesus is in the middle of a sermon and you have a question you need to look at the whole sermon to find your answer, because there's context to what he's talking about. And there's a couple different ways to go here. As you move through the sermon, we're going to see in a couple of weeks here, Jesus starts to give examples about what a Christian life looks like and what our light is going to look like as it shines in the world. He talks about being healed of anger, Talks it would be remaining faithful to your spouse, being true to your word, forgiving instead of taking revenge, loving your enemies, not being obsessed with money, uh, not being judge- judgmental, doing to others as you would have them do unto you. These are aspects of Christian light. And as people witness the Christian life transformed by Jesus, they will begin to see how good and amazing and beautiful God is and respond to him with worship of their own. So I think the rest of the Sermon on the Mount is in part an explanation of what it looks like to be the light of the world. But I think there's something even more profound and even more unique to Christian light as Jesus, is te- as Jesus teaches us here. And it's why I went back up to verse 11 to show you the flow of thought from Jesus' blessings into his metaphors of salt and light. Let's read verse 11 and 12 again. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. When I read it like this, it sounds like this idea of us experiencing persecution and experiencing being lied against, lied about, or insulted, it feels like that is connected what it means to be salt and light in the world. A Christian who lives differently than the world around them will be persecuted, will be insulted, will be lied about. You will. And if you haven't experienced any of those things, there's two possible reasons. Either you're really new at this, Or you're not actually following Jesus. Or at least you're only following him in certain places and parts of your life. Because it's actually like, we love to talk about all the wonderful promises of the Bible. But this is another one of the promises that doesn't always make the list. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Everyone. You know, our world is changing rapidly. The benefit, depending on your generation here, the the benefit of your parents and grandparents, the benefit they had to live in a culture that generally approved of Christian values and beliefs, it's disappearing. There's very little support culturally, politically, socially for a committed follower of Jesus persecutions, insults, and hate toward what we believe. I'm not trying to prophesy this, but it seems like it's going to be increasing in this generation. And here's what I believe Jesus is telling us in this passage. There is a unique light that Christians can shine in the world, a unique light that's attractive, that draws people in like a city on a hill drawing in travelers. And it's connected to our willingness to continue to do good in the world in the midst of persecution, insults, and lies. And when, when we're too, I'll just use the strongest word that came to my brain, when we're too cowardly to continue to love our neighbor, to forgive our enemy, to bless those who curse us, to do good to those who harm us, to pray for those who persecute us, to forgive our enemies, when we're too cowardly to do that in the midst of persecutions, the world misses out on light. Because there's something special about that kind of light. And it's, it's us who are uniquely capable to shine that light because we have unique spiritual and physical resources that make it possible. This is exactly the light that Jesus shone for us. What did he do when he was persecuted, insulted, and lied about? Did he get revenge? Did he persecute and insult back? Did he call for us to go and harm all these people that are fighting against us? No, what did he do when he was persecuted, lied about? And insulted, he hung on the cross for the very people who were persecuting him, lying about him, and insulting him. He showed us a much better way than the rest of the world tends to go. And it was a unique light, wasn't it? It's a light that has shone through generations all around the world. It's the brightest, strongest light in human history. And that, to me, is the most unique way in which we can shine light. When things are going bad, when life is tough, when people are against you, when you have no support for what you believe and what you value, when people are lying about you and persecuting you and hating you, when you're able to shine your light in that scenario, I think that's the kind of light that leads people to say, you know what? There is a God in heaven, and what you believe is actually real, because it's so different than what anybody else is doing in this world. This is the way of the kingdom. Nobody said it was easy to be a follower of Jesus. In fact, we were told it was going to be hard. If you want an easy way, there are other ways, but other ways don't lead to life. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. And he has shown us the way. What the world needs today is light. It's seen enough violence. It's seen enough revenge. It's seen enough retaliation. You did this to us. We'll do this to you. It's seen enough blame and hatred and division. That's natural. That's normal. Everybody can do that. Anybody can do that. But can you shine your light? Our world is desperate for Jesus. It's interesting that the light of the world is a metaphor, and I think this is right, that Jesus, it's the only time he uses a metaphor for himself and for us. He says, I'm the light of the world. And then he says, now you are the light of the world. Because he is uniquely gifted, empowered, called us to shine in the same way that he has shone. So as you go into this week, Ben, would you come back up? As you go into this week, where has God placed you? In our mission statement as a church, we are helping each other follow Jesus at home, in our city, and around the world. There's a location to where we're helping each other follow Jesus. We're at home. God has placed you in a home. You have a house, you have an apartment, you have a place where you lay your head. You may live with people, you may live on your own, you have people over. That's a, a location God has placed you to be salt and light. In our city, you have, you have a job, you have a school, you have friends, you have a sports team you play on or bowling team or whatever it is. That's a place that's a location god has placed you to be salt and light and some of you are called to go around the world and you'll go on a missions trip or you'll be a full-time missionary or i don't know if any of our mission partners watch online we love you wherever you are in the world that's a place where you are called your are, your are place specifically to be salt and light salt that loses its saltiness is ineffective light that hides itself produces nothing see you are the salt of the earth you are the light of the world but jesus is saying what kind of salt will you be what kind of light will you be but jesus does not expect us to do this in our own strength he has given us unique spiritual and physical resources he's given us his holy spirit his power his strength He's given us his example. He's shown us the way, provided the path for us. He's given us each other, the church, his body to support and encourage each other. When the world doesn't encourage you and just insults and and lies about you and persecutes you for your beliefs, we have each other. Don't forget that. We have everything we need to be everything he has called us to be. Let's be faithful be diligent. Let's follow in the way of the kingdom as we trust in Jesus. Would you stand with me and let's pray. Bow your heads with me. In a moment we're going to sing this as a closing act of worship. This song. And it's a song about identity. It's a song about Jesus saying something about you and then just believing it. It's, it the song sings I am who you say I am. Sometimes we just need to remind ourselves of who we are. Because when you know who you are, then you know how to live out your identity. When you know who you are, you know what to do. So we need to remind ourselves of who we are. I am the salt of the earth. I am the light of the world. Jesus has given me everything I need to live that out today. To give me boldness and courage. Once I step out these doors and go for lunch or go to my home or go to my place of work, they might not be the best environments, but I can still be salt and light there because Jesus has said that's who I am. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing this in faith. And I don't know how you've taken this sermon. It's not a happy, clappy, joy-filled sermon. I don't expect a whole bunch of good sermon, Pastor. I really enjoyed it. That's fine. That's fine. I don't know if everybody enjoyed the sermon on the mount on the day it was preached either. But I believe that God is calling us to live out who we are today. Because the world so desperately needs it. Father in heaven, thank you so much your great love for us thank you so much that you have not called us to earn our way into your kingdom you have not called us to get to a position where we can be acceptable to you you have opened the doors wide through the death of jesus christ on the cross his blood is enough the entrance is free we can walk right in we thank you for that and I pray if someone in here has not done that, I pray you would give them the faith for Jesus to say yes to you and begin the journey of walking with Jesus on the way of the kingdom. But Lord, I recognize the content of this sermon is not about how to get in, but it's how to live. Out our identity, how to live out the blessings you've given us, how to live out uh, what you have done, the inheritance we've received, Lord. Give us the strength, give us the courage, give us the boldness, Lord, in a world that, that no longer supports Christian faith and is more and more antagonistic to the values of the kingdom. Lord, give us courage to stand out. Give us courage, Lord, to go out and preserve that which is good. Give us courage, Lord God, to shine the light of Jesus not just uh, in difficult times, but especially in difficult times because we know the world is so desperate for your light and you want to shine it through us. So God, as we sing this song, declaring our identity in you, fill us with that boldness, fill us with life, fill us with your spirit, Lord God, transform us to be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing together.